0: What's up, everyone? Welcome back to The Planet Today. It is Monday, August 15th, 2022. I'm your host, Matt Norton, here with our producer and co-host, Nick Janusa. Nick, how are you, my friend?
1: Maddie, I am three drinks deep on the beach right now, <laughs> and I am just soaking up the sun. It's a beautiful day. I am in heaven. Did you just uh, reveal yourself as an afternoon
0: listener? I am an afternoon listener. What am I going to do? <laughs> I'm a morning listener. I got to make sure there's no, uh, I've, I've messed up quite a few times and I've tried to be the first one to catch it so I can quick
1: go in there and edit and re-upload. God forbid I like accidentally leave in like a, an S word or an F word. We've done it. We've done it a couple times before.
0: And every time I'm like, Oh, F word. Let me go. Let me go bleep that let one me out.
1: Swoop in. Yeah. And grab that one.
0: All right, no F words on this show today, unless the F is, uh, Nick, hope you have an awesome freaking time on vacation, my friend.
1: (laughs) Or if Joe Manchin is mentioned at some point in this show. We're on good terms with him as
0: of right now. Yeah.
1: yeah. (laughs) All right, let's do this.
0: And today we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy and environmental policy with two episodes every week coming your way Monday
1: and Friday. All right. Time for our quick hits for the week. And the first one is by Artie Das from The Guardian, who writes how nine women are helping save India's mangroves with foraging and ecotours. This group of women found
0: that boat safaris and edible wild plants help protect the forests in their town. Wild edibles are common in kitchens around the Mandavi River, and fortunately, foraging for the plants is helping to conserve the mangroves, which are salt-tolerant ecosystems that stop
1: coastal erosion and absorb some storm damage. Shweta Huel is the head of Swamini, a self-help group set up by nine women. Their group also founded Mandavi Ecotourism in 2017 to run mangrove safaris research their community's history, and rediscover the wild, local, edible plants they forage for. This region of India is known for its
0: beautiful beaches and seafood,
1: but the climate crisis
0: has made fishing for a living unsustainable. So people are trying to find other sources of income. And these women have been working to improve local knowledge about biodiversity, the animals that live there, which includes birds and marine life, and just overall
1: greater conservation of mangroves. The article points out that local spicy coconut curries have become a key attraction for both locals and tourists, with the foraging trips contributing to the ingredients. Another food that has emerged from the foraging trips is purslane fritters, which are a local plant that are made into fritters with flour. They're described as salty and rich in vitamins, and they've been a big hit during the Van Wild Vegetable Festival, which sounds awesome, I want to go.
0: It does sound very cool. Um,
1: (laughs) All right, buckle up, people. You're going to get a little sneak into
0: capitalist mad. This doesn't come (laughs) out very often, but I recognize that in society, money is kind of the driving factor for a lot of things. So unfortunately, some people just don't really care about forests. Some people would rather look at it and say, oh, look, those are logs that we could use for something else. And while ecosystem services have an incredible value, some people can't monetize that. So for this, for these women to come in and say, look, we are going to do awesome things nearby, including spreading awareness, spreading knowledge, foraging for plants, and basically making it so the mangroves that are... Invaluable, like they are doing way more for storm surge than any sort of artificial buffer can do. They also now have a monetary value for them to say, look, it's making our community more wealthy. It's helping us monetarily. So all of those people who would normally come in and say, eh, yeah, forest, the forest, but think about the homes we could build there. Think about the golf courses. Like, those people are going to be deterred now because you have monetary value also coming out of something with an incredible ecosystem value.
1: Yeah. Well said. And like, this is such a cool thing to, to really let the people know, you know, even just like the people who are not tourists and are just locals, like this is what makes our environment special Mm -hmm. and what makes our land so cool. And, and that's, what's like important in any country is like, what makes you so different? And what can you bring to the to the global economy like that's really, yeah, that's what's so cool, like I'm thinking about like Sicily and almonds,
0: yeah, yeah i'm I'm even just thinking locally, like I go to a farmer's market nearby, and it's all local farmers that bring in stuff, and yeah, is it a little more expensive, sure, do I feel great about it knowing that it was grown thirty miles down the road instead of shipped in from who knows where, yeah, so like local your local community producing something that you eat that that's awesome it it feels good to do that, so. Yeah, I think this is really cool. Agreed.
1: Yeah, it's like a sense of pride thing. I don't know. I can't, can't yeah. describe it. And
0: don't worry, listeners, I'm going to turn off Capitalist Matt. And we are back, <laughs> baby. Burn it all down. System change.
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right. The next one is titled, Like Bees of the Seas, These Crustaceans Pollinate Seaweed. Annie Roth of the New York Times.
0: Yeah, not going to lie. This is one of those articles that we're putting in here where like, I I have no idea if listeners are going to care about this, but I thought it was so, so cool. (laughs) So we're going to cover it. A study published in late July found that a small crustacean called Eidotia balthica is essentially a pollinator for seaweed. So Annie Roth writes, they do this by inadvertently collecting the algae's sticky spermatia on their bodies and sprinkling it around as they search for food and shelter. And that spermatia is
1: basically the equivalent of pollen for seaweed. This is the first time an animal has been found to fertilize algae. Up until 2016, it was thought that animals only pollinate on land, but then a seagrass in the Caribbean was found to be pollinated by zooplankton. Here's another quote from the article. The researchers believe the isopods
0: have a mutualistic relationship with the seaweed. So the algae provides the isopods with food in the form of a species of microalgae that grows on its surface, and it provides shelter. In exchange, the isopods help fertilize the algae. Really simple way to think of this one. It's your buddy who's wingmanning you at a bar. And you, you get him a beer to say thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so this is also said to be an interesting development in how seaweeds actually reproduce.
1: This is so cool. Like, to think that po- there's pollinators mm-hmm. in the ocean. Like, just a completely novel concept. Like, ne- we had never expected this. We always thought it was just a land thing. But what do we know? These... These little crustaceans are responsible for basically pollinating seaweed. Like, that is so cool. Yeah. Dr. Miriam Valero, a population geneticist at Sorbonne University in France, added that it was important to find out whether other red algae species relied on marine animals for fertilization. She said that figuring this out could be critical to the maintenance of biodiversity in our oceans. Scientists have long been studying how pollution and climate change affect
0: the relationship between plants and pollinators on land, but algae and their quote-unquote pollinators in the ocean are a brand new field of study. So let's hope that by protecting crustaceans, we can help protect red algaes and biodiversity in their food webs, because those are going to serve as one of the bases of most food chains.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Completely unrelated note, but I went snorkeling the other day in my local... Um, beach like down the street from us, and it was so cool to see like the little hermit crabs on the on the ocean floor. Like I've never really seen that before. Now this is just giving me even more of a reason not to accidentally step on them. I am not going to shuffle my feet anymore. Look at local ecosystem Nikki over here, <laughs> <laughs> protecting your local hermit crabs since 1962. <laughs> All right. Our next story is from The Guardian, where Vivian Ho and Joanna Walters write, White House warns of intensifying impacts of climate change as Biden tours flood hit Kentucky.
0: All right, yeah, we're going to keep this one pretty brief, but Kentucky was hit with massive flooding over the past two weeks. Um, this is something that's going to become more common, more intense and more deadly in both the United States and the world
1: due to climate change. 37 people, unfortunately, have passed at the time of writing this, and mass destruction was caused by floodwaters. The flooding was caused by atypical rainstorms, and it occurred eight months after tornadoes killed almost three times as many people as the flooding has in western Kentucky. President Biden said the
0: following about the flooding. Everybody has an obligation to help. We have the capacity to do this. It's not like it's beyond our control. The weather may be beyond our control for now, but it's not beyond our control. And I promise you, we're staying. The federal government, along with the state and country and the city, we're staying until everybody is back to where they were. So unfortunately, this is one of those situations where climate change is going to make floods happen more often. And these are some, you know once every 50 years, once every 100-year events that are happening, once every 10. Yeah. All of a sudden, you know, those once-every-10-year events are happening eight months apart from each other. So as pressure systems in the atmosphere change, as heat increases in the atmosphere as well, as heat increases in the ocean and makes the sea levels rise as the glaciers melt stuff like this is going to happen more often. And and unfortunately we're at a period now where we can't just say we have to mitigate climate change. We have to adapt to it because it's here. It's been here, but it's, it's here and it's not going anywhere for a long time. Like there's, there's still reason to believe that we can absolutely get climate change under control. Yeah. But things are going to get worse before they get better. And I do believe they will get better but as for now, like this is going to be part of our our normal for a while.
1: Yeah, I I agree. I think you said it best. it, it is the new normal. It's something we have to adapt to. It's something we have to get used to. Um, and as unfortunate as that sounds, it's just true at this point. Um, and we just have to do everything we can in order to, you know, mitigate climate change and and get ourselves in the right direction.
0: Yeah yeah, our, our thoughts and prayers got to the families and loved ones of, of everyone who's been lost in this and everyone who has also lost their homes their business, you know, flooding is a flooding serious. I mean, we talked about it a little bit on Friday, but it's a, it's a really unfortunate side effect to, uh, heavy rainfall to hurricanes. Flooding is, is really tough.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right. After the break, we are going to finish off with a few more quick hits for you. Planet Today is brought to you by Vala Alta. Vala Alta's Everyday Handkerchief
0: is a high-performance daily use handkerchief designed to help minimize your impact. Made in the United States from sustainably sourced Irish linen, capturing the material's historic craftsmanship and natural antimicrobial properties, handkerchiefs perfectly balance softness with durability and absorbency with rapid drying. Ideal for functional use in all settings from the outdoors to routine encounters, their small and lightweight design makes one a must-carry for wherever life takes you. Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at Valalta.co and save 15% with code TPT at checkout. That's V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A aco and code TPT
1: welcome back to the planet today folks next up two million people lack running water in the u.s. This Navajo Nation team is turning on the taps on tribal land. By the independence, Louise Boyle. The Navajo Nation is found throughout the American Southwest in Utah, Arizona,
0: and New Mexico, and it's around the size of West Virginia. 30% of its 173,000 people lack running water. This isn't terribly surprising because lack of running water affects Native Americans at 19 times the rate that it impacts white Americans, and Black and Latino Americans are also twice as likely to be impacted by lack of running water than white Americans. The article
1: summarized this by stating, poor, historically disenfranchised, and minorities are hit the hardest. Tina Bacenti, the manager of the Navajo Nation's Baca Pruitt community chapter, was raising her three teenagers and twin four-year-old daughters without running water up until recently. She says, we used to pack buckets, empty milk plastic jugs, little pickle jars, whatever we could fill water in, and drive down the road to my mom's house. Her family would then use her water to fill up and take home. Her family has also rented a porta potty for $100 per month instead
0: of having an inside toilet. And this means fighting the bitter cold to use the bathroom in the winter and trying to avoid potentially venomous snakes on the ground at night in the summers. For many of us, we kind of just take running water for granted since we've just always had it you know you, you you turn on your faucet and there's water in front of you you don't really think about how some families today don't have this and it's a, a privilege that we're very very fortunate to have
1: tina Bacenti's family now has hot and cold running water thanks to the navajo water project which has installed hundreds of tanks in homes not connected to piped water or sewer lines across the navajo reservation the project is one of several
0: run by Dig Deep, a human rights nonprofit which expands access to clean running water in the United States. The group's latest research discovered that the economy loses $8.6 billion each year due to lack of water access, in part due to the health impacts like higher risk of waterborne diseases, diabetes, and mental health issues. The article also highlights the Appalachia Water Project in McDowell County, West Virginia, where thousands have no running water. Or they do, but it's, quote, water that's too dangerous to drink after decades of coal pollution, neglected pipe, and a lack of political will to do
1: anything about it. The Indian Health Service estimates that it would cost $200 million for basic water and sanitation access in all Navajo homes. So instead of paying this, Thousands of Navajo people drive up to several hours to buy expensive bottled water or buy 55-gallon barrels of water and ration the supplies. Others rely on thousands of unregulated wells, springs, or livestock troughs that are spread across the reservation. These wells can pose a serious health risk due to mining on Navajo land that left unsafe levels of uranium and arsenic. The Southwest is also experiencing a mega
0: drought, so many of these unsafe wells are also drying up. The majority of the Navajo Nation's rivers do not flow year-round anymore, and lakes and smaller bodies of water have decreased by 98% since the early 1900s. The good news is there are plenty of nonprofits and other groups that are working to fix this, but this is another issue that is impacting marginalized groups in America at a higher rate than other groups. And it's an issue that climate change is making way worse as water becomes less and less available in the American Southwest.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is a, a rough story. And, but it's, it's, it's also important to highlight because like you said, we turn on the water, we turn on the faucet, we expect water to come out. We don't even think past that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, there it is, water. Water will just always come from my faucet. And ultimately that's just not the case. Uh, we're lucky that we live in the area that we do, that we have pretty consistent water when we turn on our faucets. Mm-hmm. But with that being said, it's it won't be too much longer that everyone in the country will have to be water conscious and really reduce the amount of water that they're using.
0: Yeah, 100%. And one of the ways that you can fix this issue on a personal level is is get involved. You know, we talked about Dig Deep, which is the parent organization that runs the Navajo Water Project. So if you want to help Navajo people that have little access to clean water, then go look up the Navajo Water Project or go look up Dig Deep and see what other projects they are working on. Or if you want to help out another clean water project and friend of the planet today, go check out missioncleanwater.org. My buddy, James Leitner, who we've interviewed on the show before, he's the founder of Mission Clean Water, and they're doing a ton of great work both in the state of New Jersey and Uganda, and they're looking to expand more. So if you can get involved and help them out with a one-time or monthly donation, I mean, that's a really good way to, to help out someone who has been on this show before. And this isn't an ad. like, This is something that you know, James doesn't even know I'm doing this. James, if you're listening, hi. <laughs> um, but like, this is, this is something that matters to a lot of people is, is, helping get
1: access to clean water. That's a way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll have that linked in your show notes, I'm sure. All right. Our last quick hit of the week is by Marion Renault of the New York times. And it's titled the most fascinating birds will be the first to go extinct.
0: All right, this article is pretty sobering, so just buckle up ahead of time, but the article says to get ready for a world that looks a lot more simple and brown and boring. The biodiversity crisis that some are describing as the sixth great extinction will impact distinctive birds first, according to a study published last week. Human activities have threatened or destroyed the limited landscapes that certain birds of extreme shapes and sizes require. These are birds that have evolved specifically to thrive in certain habitats, so they're more likely to face extinction than more common birds. The article points to the giant ibis, Sulu hornbill, Chatham shag, white-bellied heron, and Sicelli's scops
1: owl as just a few of the species that are at risk here. Emma Hughes of England's University of Sheffield is one of the authors of the study. She says... The global extinction crisis doesn't mean we're just losing species or the birds that we find most attractive. She added, we're going to have a major loss of life strategies and functions, referring to the adaptations that have driven many birds' unusual features. The model that was run for the study
0: started to eliminate species that are threatened by modeling what would happen to their habitat. And they found that the remaining bird species became more and more alike. This is because birds often look the way they do because of how they survive. They've developed
1: traits over time that help them occupy their own role in each habitat. Birds also pollinate plants, spread seeds, control pests, regenerate forests, and carve, burrow, or build homes for numerous other organisms. By losing one distinctive bird species, a major hole in the ecosystem can form. One example of this would be losing vultures. Since they're scavengers, they help clear decaying carcasses that would otherwise spread diseases or just stay in the road.
0: Yeah, and you know, this is something that would provide a space for other scavengers to come in. So, we're talking about rats, we're talking about animals like dogs as well that could spread something like rabies or bubonic plague to humans. So, it's not like vultures and, and all distinctive birds, for that matter, only impact wild ecosystems, they impact humans as well.
1: Yeah, it just comes down to that point of like everything is kind of here for a reason. Yeah, every species animal plant has a part to play and without it the world does not look the same it's unfortunate because like these are so unique mm-hmm. to their environments and like they're so cool looking you know so like to to have a world that's just a little more boring and and not as cool is just i don't know it's not as fun yeah and and you know you're
0: hitting on two parts there that are both very very important you have the value of birds in that they provide services, right? They pollinate, they spread seeds, they help create other habitats for other animals, but also just that intrinsic value of birds in that we like them. They're yeah. cool. Like <laughs> they, they're very cool to look at. If you're ever traveling to some tropical island, for example, like you see these beautiful, vibrant colored birds that you might not see at home. So yeah, you know, yeah they provide a ton of ecosystem value, but also just... They're cool, <laughs> so to lose them would be rough, and unfortunately, if things don't start to shake up differently, we're going to lose some of these species due to climate change, due to habitat loss, due to the illegal pet trade. like there's all of these factors that unfortunately mean we're probably going to lose some of them,
1: yeah, yeah, I mean, it is unfortunate, but birds are cool what you know what are you going to do?
0: Yeah, and if that uh, if you disagree with everything that we said. Please check out birdsaren'treal.com.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, that'll do it for today's episode of TPT. If you didn't pick up on this in the beginning, Nick's on vacation this week, so we recorded a little early.
1: Nick, go have an awesome time. I'll be back on Friday with a co host for some quick hits. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate it, buddy. And for the planet today, I am Nick Janusa. I'm Matt Norton. See you on Friday. Peace.